0: weather and science across the globe the weather jazz podcast what's more refreshing than spring rain what's more entertaining than watching clouds move or more fun the big box of isobars look no further Welcome to the Weather Jazz Podcast. Here's
1: Andre. Welcome to Weather Jazz, a world audience podcast about anything and everything, weather, science, earth science, and a whole lot more. I am your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz podcast, Andre Bernier. I'm the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. This is season three, episode number two, for Monday, October 31st, 2022. And quite frankly, I thought that this would be episode number one. But if you remember a little while back, When Hurricane Ian slammed into the west coast of Florida, we had former news anchor Bill Martin on with us from western Florida, where Ian was about to move on shore. Well, today is going to be a special segment in the sense that it's arguably the most popular Weather Jazz episodes since Weather Jazz began almost 20 years ago now, and that is the Winter Weather Outlook podcast, where we take apart and dig out all of the nitty-gritty details of what goes into the winter weather forecast. Now, to help me do that, my colleague, morning meteorologist Scott Sable from WJW Television joins me. And for those of you who would actually like to watch this podcast, you can do that. Just go to weatherjazz.com, episode number two, and you will see the video portion of that as we discuss some of the parameters that go into the Winter Weather Outlook. Now, for those of you that miss the Winter Weather Outlook on WJW television, just simply go to weatherjazz.com. And I have embedded the television segment that we did last Thursday indicating our Winter Weather Outlook. But there's just so much information that we can relay in such a short period of time. They generously gave me about three minutes in order to explain what we would likely see. So if you want to check that out before you get into the nitty-gritty details vis-a-vis this podcast, you can do that. Again, weatherjazz.com. So, coming up after the break, meteorologist Scott Sable joins me. And we get weather nerdy on you as we discuss some of the parameters that go into a winter weather outlook and what we're expecting this year compared to the last few years. We'll be right back. All right, Scott, this is the big reveal. Actually, we already had the big reveal on the television side, but this is where we get to. Really unpackage and expand upon those things that we talked about uh, earlier last week on the winter weather outlook it 's a big one it
0: is it really is you know it's it, you know for us living in northern ohio you know it 's been what, seven years since the last time that we had a, a winter that we had above normal snowfall? I believe it's been seven years. I think it was the winter right. of 2013, 2014, something like mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, So, right. you know, I, I, I know the big thing with winter weather outlooks, you know, we always get this. It's like, well, what? you know, everyone's like, yeah, it's going to be cold and snowy. What's the big deal? But we really try to narrow that down, you know, to... You know, a month-to-month breakdown. You know, we look at December, we look at January and February, and of course, you can get winter weather in November and March and April too. We look at those three months, and we try to give you kind of a general, on average breakdown. You know, we can't tell you what's going to happen on February third or you know, January twentieth. That's, that's What?
1: You mean you mean you can't tell me what's going to happen February third? Uh, I kind of I kind of equate those <laughs> hey. to
0: like unicorns. They don't exist, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> we do what we can. Right. But yeah, so I mean, right. it's something I know. Long-range outlooks are something that's a passion of mine. I love reading about it. Um, Um, I remember, Mm -hmm. you know, as a little kid, you know, th- having a globe in my room. You know, this is real nerdy here. I'm I'm sure you had something like this, and looking at it. And what I would do, I would put a piece of Saran wrap over the globe, and I would draw the winds aloft on the Saran wrap, so that way it wouldn't draw it on the globe. And it was right. fascinating to me because you, know, you could turn the globe, and you could see in three dimensions. Before we had the internet, you know, what was coming on the other side of the globe, and you know, and and in my you know my amateurish way, you're kind of connecting the dots, so to speak, just by looking at that globe. So it's always been a passion. Passion of passion of mine and and, um, you know, something that I know you and I have worked on for over 20 years, just trying to hone in the different research and, and the different um, elements and
1: trying to get get better at it each and every year. The best way is still to this day, looking at what we call analogs and analogs essentially uh, would be where you take the current scenario and you look at the previous years that had something similar and what the outcome was then, mm. and try to match it up to this year. So we've had two La Nina winters, but very unusual ones, because mm. we had parameter parameters that were fighting each other. And the, the the fight put us in a real quiet zone in terms of the storm track. So, yeah, it may have been cool-ish on last year. was pretty close to normal right. when you average it out temperature-wise, but... We were still below normal snowfall, except for one of the months. Uh, this year it's another La Nina year now the there are indications that the La Nina will begin to fade right. toward the end of this winter. Mm-hmm. So let's put this all together. What's different about this La Nina winter compared to the last two? And what are the other parameters uh, pointing to? What are we looking at? Well, I think the big difference when you look at
0: La Nina is that if you go back to the summer of 2020, La Nina, maybe not officially, but when you look at all the different parameters, you look at the um, uh, there is a it's a chart and I can't remember what it is, but it's a chart that basically shows sea surface temperature anomalies and it shows it over You know, over a year's time, and you can kind of see it right along the international dateline and in the area that would normally be the ENSO region, you know, it became almost neutral in 2020, not officially because it wasn't long enough to go neutral, you know, by, by textbook definition. And then in the fall of 2021, that Lenin started taking over as we hit, you know, for last winter. This winter, there was some weakening, but it, but it was more consistent this past summer in 2022 mm. and into this fall. So I think that's one big difference. <laughs> the other big difference. Was that, And I have this on a PowerPoint. I think I sent it to the weather team, too. And I, and I made a YouTube clip on this. And another meteorologist and climatologist have talked about this. But last winter, or the late last fall, and it was in late November into December, the MJO, which is the Madden-Julian Oscillation, mm. Okay, it's the right. and and you know Google that everybody if you if you don't know what that is it's basically tropical disturbances that go around the equator and they're somewhat cyclical but they come in different magnitudes and we started noticing that the MGO was getting really strong in December right. November of 2020 was unsettled it was cool wet. Um, We had some snow, we had like four inches of snow, which is okay, a decent amount in November, Mm -hmm. but it started Mm -hmm. going into a favorable phase and there's eight different phases and the phase uh, was in a warm phase and it started going into that in December. I remember early December of 2020 where I'm like, wow, this is interesting because now we're looking at, in in essence, the MJO was overriding the La Niña briefly and it was overriding a lot of factors and it was interesting because that MJO worked in concert with this ridge of high pressure, anomalously high ridge of high pressure in the Northern Pacific. It was one of the strongest on record for that time of year. And they kind of fed off of one another. And it's like putting a rock in a stream, you know, it deviated the jet stream and the result for us in most of the middle of the country and the great lakes, was no snow in December. And the last time Mm -hmm. anything close to that happened was in 1931. Um, Once that MJO started coming out of, out of those phases, you know, then we started getting cold, you know, last winter. We had the big snow in January or on MLK weekend. And but it was at that point, you know, it was it was going to be a, a you know, a, an uphill battle to try to recoup the, the lack of snow right. in December. Yeah.
1: So, right. so that
0: was the big difference this mm-hmm. year. Although as we record this now and we're recording this on Halloween, the MJO is, interestingly enough, in a similar phase to what it was in December of 2020. Uh. I saw that, but but the amplitude is different. Correct. Yeah, the amplitude isn't as strong. And probably, you know, when you look at the temperatures here the last couple of weeks, you know, it's kind of circled back in the same phases, Mm. but it's allowed for a couple of cool days. You know, it's been cool today. It's upper 50s, and it was a little bit cooler last week. Mm. But we've had these bursts of warmth, 60s and 70s. Then it backs off, and then the remainder of this week, the first week of November, is going to be really warm. So it's interesting to see how the MJO can override that La Nina. Now, I think what's going to set the stage and going back to the outlook is that going into the second half of November, we're really going to start to get MJO, get into a favorable phase for cooler weather. The jet stream is going to get a little stronger and more favorable. The cold is up there. I mean, it's up over central Canada. So, you know, back to your original question, what's different? Those two things. And I think it's going to set the stage for a much quicker uh, and snowier start to winter because of those mm-hmm. factors among a few others, um, you know, we, we're not going to have a repeat of December of 2020. It just doesn't seem like that's going to happen.
1: All right. Well, that's good. Uh, it looks like a fast start. It still looks like mm-hmm. a fast start to winter once we get into December. And thus goes the the mentality that most people really can't seem to get a grasp on them. And that is the current conditions don't necessarily point to a seasonal outlook. That's correct. Yeah.
0: I mean, you know, a warm November, warm October. Don't use that as, as, as a predictor ahead. No. You know, we can easily have what happened last December, fourth warmest, fifth warmest on record in Northern right. Ohio. And everyone yep. was crying Oh, Yeah. This reminds me of back in, you know, 82 was a warm, um, a, a warm December. And, but we started seeing those signs around Christmas that the switch was going to flip, but yeah, you can't
1: use that as a predictor of the winter ahead for sure. Now we've not ever in recorded history seen seven winters in a row where the Mm -hmm. snowfall is either just a little below or a lot below normal. In other words, it never went normal or above, never. That's never happened in Cleveland history. Uh, Now, statistics would simply say seeing number eight is unlikely. But in this case, it, it appears as though the pattern is going to not allow that to happen for the eighth Winter in a row, right? I would
0: agree. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the factors, like we talked about La Niña, the MJO, at least at the initial part of winter, more favorable for cold and more favorable for those Clipper systems and, mm-hmm. and, and lake effect. Considering the lakes are running, you know, above normal temperature-wise because it's been warm this fall, um, and and I can go into the other factors too. It just it seems like we're going to get a wrap, a quick start to winter, and the quicker we get, you know, the quicker of a start we get. Um, you know, the easier, how should I put it? The, the, the chances of us getting above normal snowfall will be easier, even if we get a, and more and more than likely get some sort of thaw in January, early February, you know, we'll have, we'll have days in the forties and fifties, the chances of that not happening are very slim, but yeah, we start out much quicker, you know, that's our chances of, of, of seeing an above normal snowfall, I think are much higher than they've been in recent memory for sure.
1: All right. So uh, here we are uh, calling for uh, basically snowfall in the 70 to 80 inch plus Mm -hmm. range, uh, which is certainly significant given the fact that the last seven years we've been either just under or well under that. So anything even remotely close to normal is going to seem like, whoa, what's happening here? (laughs) Because we're used to kind of getting... um, Getting off uh, easy right. uh, uh, in, in terms of winter, so this is going to be an interesting thing to to uh, to watch. And you're right about a quick start to winter does have an impact, potentially at least for the rest of the winter, in the sense that it's a positive feedback. Once you establish cold early, it's a little easier to keep it there. On a bit more consistent level, if all those other parameters remain the same. And uh, the, and this year, unlike mm-hmm. the last two years, mm-hmm. which the PNA, the 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 Pacific North American uh, parameter, the mm-hmm. cycle, uh, long term, really drove whether or not we saw the cold. Because mm-hmm. the AO wasn't, uh, Arctic Oscillation wasn't a factor. Right. North American AO was not a factor. There was no Greenland blob. Right, right. This year, we've got the Greenland block early, and uh, it it appears as though the MJO, uh, nowhere near the amplitude it had last year, and it's cycling back into a more favorable position for cold and snow uh, as we head towards Thanksgiving. So you think we'll... uh, See the snowfall before Thanksgiving. I think so. I really do. I mm-hmm. think what we're going to notice now is that, in the other factors we go
0: over too. We we look at the Indian Ocean, the IOD, the Indian Ocean Dipole, which is another.
1: That's a new uh, one, isn't it? that's a relatively it, new parameter. Yeah, you know, it's one that I've yeah. um, I've heard about.
0: Didn't pay much mm-hmm. attention to, but it's gone through some interesting phases. That you know, just like anything else, you know, if the magnitude is high enough, um, you know, mm-hmm. it can it it can it can it can augment. Certain things. Um, you know, we have a La Nina, the IOD, you combine, you combined that, which I believe it's negative now and it's supposed to go positive. Um, you combine that with the changes in the MJO and the background La Nina state. And that's one of the other factors that we look at. Another one, by the way, that um, Dr. Judah Cohen, who works at, um, oh, I can't remember the company that he works for, but he does a lot of research in ice coverage uh, over the Kerosene ice coverage over the Arctic circle and the extent of the snow cover and how rapid the snow over Eurasia expands in October. Mm -hmm. And he's done a lot of research in showing that if the snow cover expands at a rapid rate in October, there's a connection to a disruption of the polar vortex, more of a disruption you get, you know, the more aptitude you have of a, of a meandering jet stream and, and cold. What's interesting is that the snow cover up there, up over Eurasia hasn't expanded extremely fast. So we'll mm-hmm. see how that works out. At least that by itself um, isn't showing that, you know, that the, PV, the polar vortex will start to become more disjointed, but it's still early. You know, it's still really mm-hmm. early for that. So that's another factor we look at, too. Um, and all of that, you know, the Siberian high, all of that um, changes the jet stream coming in off of Asia. And the more that jet stream, whether it's strong or meandering, will augment the pressure patterns in the northern Pacific. It'll change the EPO and thus the PNA, all those specific teleconnections you talked about. And if everything kind of marches according to plan, yeah, I mean, we could be looking at some cold. But, yeah, everything is pointing to that at this point. Um, And, yeah, I think we'll see some snow before Thanksgiving. I don't know how much at this point, but I I think it'll be cold enough for
1: probably our first lake effect event by the end of the month. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, we'll see how that pans out. This is a relatively young science of that being long range. Mm-hmm. Of course, long range has been tried for for, for decades, right. even, you know, a century plus without much success, but we are getting better as we understand long range teleconnections. Uh, and, uh, so this is, uh, this is an exciting time in long range forecasting. It really
0: is. You know, and there's so many businesses that use long range forecasting. Now you have the agriculture business, you have hedge funds in New York, you have, and I'm only naming the two off the top of my head, but a, I mean, it's a billion dollar business. And the fact mm-hmm. that you have all of this, or at least the majority of this information online and it's freely available. Whereas back in the day it was in somebody's spiral notebook on a bookshelf and no one had access to it, you know, right. but now, you know, you, can study this stuff and read papers. I always caution people because the weather is nonlinear. The atmosphere operates nonlinear, and what that means is it's not a one-to-one relationship, typical mm-hmm. butterfly effect, cause and effect. You know, if this happens in you know and with this magnitude over Asia, it doesn't mean that North America is going to see it in the same with the same magnitude. It's it, it, all these different connections, all these different teleconnections and variables, kind of come together. But it's like a recipe you know you mess up a recipe by one little ingredient and it might not be a small change it might be a big change that you taste later on down the line so with these long range outlook it's it's kind of the same thing oh by the way you mentioned la nina um and I'm showing this I know our viewers can't see it cuz this is a uh, you know a podcast but this right here um is the um Annual
1: ENSO, the three, the three, four region showing that this Go ahead this, and hold that up again yeah. because, um, uh, we will, I will be putting a video version on weatherjazz.com. Okay. So what are we looking at right here? This is the, um, uh, the ocean temperature anomalies. So it's hmm. annual. It's the
0: ENSO three, four region. And this goes back to 1950. And it shows, and this is from Dr. Joe DeLeo. Joe DeLeo posted, posted this online. And basically it shows that this is more than likely assuming it, 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 it continues. With, I think it will. It'll be our fourth, third La Nina since 1950. So a triple mm-hmm. La Nina, if you want to call it that. I know the media has mm-hmm. been talking about that a lot. There was one in the, oh, let's see, the mid fifties. There was one in the seventies. There was another one in around 2000. And then this one currently, which, so, um, you know, it's, we're kind of an uncharted territory with that, but it's just one of the many drivers that, you know, kind of go into, uh, Uh, you know, into the long range outlook. So, you know, different flavors of La Nina, just like El Nino can, can, can mean Mm -hmm. different things. Oh, by the way, La Nina uh, looks like it will weaken significantly. And there's the potential that we could go neutral by February Mm -hmm. and March. Right, And that, you know, that could be, that could make for an interesting spring with those systems coming in from the Southwest.
1: Oh boy. So we'll uh, keep an eye on that uh, Scott, let's make a point to touch bases again here on Weather Jazz mm-hmm. in December, sure. maybe mid-December, just before Christmas. Right. And uh, let's see what uh, begins to transpire. And uh, we'll uh, we'll check it out and maybe fine-tune and tweak as we go along. We can do it. Looking forward to it, Andre. Now, in April of 2023, when the last flake has fallen, And the tally is done, and let's hope it's April and not May, because we have had Mays with snowfall here in Northeast Ohio. But let's hope that it is in April, and we can look back and say that we had a pretty decent handle on the winter of 2022-2023. We will have an update sometime in December, probably just a little before Christmas, with Scott Sable. And speaking of which... Let me give you a shameless plug for episode number three. Scott and I will talk about probability of precipitation, one of those numbers that you see on the eight day. What does it mean? What does it really mean? And do we use it in a different way compared to, say, a forecast that you would see from the National Weather Service? We'll dig into all of those details coming up in episode number three. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Help me to spread the word about this podcast inside your sphere of influence, whether it be in social media, by email, word of mouth, every way possible. Just let folks know that Weather Jazz is something that you enjoy listening to. Help to spread the joy. Do you have a question or a topic of suggestion? I welcome that input. You can easily reach me, weatherjazz at yahoo.com and also now via voicemail at the Weather Jazz podcast audience connect line 234-525-5888 the next to go around probability of precipitation it's something you won't want to miss especially you've always wondered just exactly what goes in to that number that you see on the eight day we'll see you soon weather and science across the globe
0: Jazz party.